I'm Katie Hirschberger, and this is Publishers Lunch Deluxe for Thursday, September 28th. Among our latest deal reports, author of the best-selling cookbook Plant You and social media personality Carly Bodrug's Plant You Scrappy Cooking to Hachette Go in a major deal. Today's top story, literary agents face low pay and supplement with side gigs. The Association of American Literary Agents published their biannual membership survey report today about agent demographics, how the organization is serving members, and industry issues. This time around, one of the sections addresses agent compensation with, as they write, an overwhelming 69% of respondents pointing to low salaries as a critical issue for the industry to address. In parallel, PL has been speaking to agencies, agents at a variety of firms about what it takes to make a living as part of our ongoing series on compensation across the industry, which has previously included book critics and booksellers, confirming the AALA's findings that many are struggling, especially early in their careers. The AALA's survey responses reflect a dip in agent pay even just over the past two years. The organization writes that 59% of respondents now earn less than $100,000 for their personal annual income, compared to 46% in 2021, which they note makes sense given the influx of newer agents. The organization introduced tiered dues and a special introductory rate, expanding their membership. 22% of respondents were relatively new new to agenting. Additionally, as in other professions, there is a stark gender gender divide. 59% of respondents identifying as cis men reported personal annual income of over $100,000, compared to only 36% of respondents identifying as cis women, while fully one-third of respondents identifying as cis women make under $50,000. There is an earnings gap as well, and the survey provides glimpses of tension between younger agents and established counterparts, and between agents and agency owners. A quarter of the respondents receive payout as an owner, partner, or shareholder of an agency, and 13% of survey participants made $250,000 or more, with another 11% making between $150,000 and $250,000. The agent trajectory can begin with an internship, which usually pays by the hour. For instance, recently on the PM Jobs Board, David Black Literary Agency advertised an internship paying $15 an hour, three days a week. Businesses are now required by law to pay interns, and $15 is the New York State minimum wage. If agents begin as assistants as opposed to interns, they can currently expect a salary around $45,000 to $50,000 a year, comparable to entry-level salaries on the editorial side, which hover around $45,000 at the major publishers. This figure is fairly consistent across boutique and larger corporate agencies. WME recently advertised for a New York-based assistant in the books department for $21 an hour, or about $43,680 a year, based on a 40-hour work week. The MIT Living Wage Calculator puts the New York living wage at $40,968 a year. While CAA's rate for an entry-level position in their New York books department as a contracts and royalties assistant is currently $22 an hour, about $45,760 a year. In July, on PM's jobs board, an opening at Trident Media Group to assist two agents advertised $35,000 a year, and the agency was broadly criticized on Twitter for this low rate. 
This piece focuses on independent literary agencies of modest size, where most compensation comes from commission. At the large agencies, which are part of bigger companies, compensation is driven by salary, with some provisions for bonus or additional commission. Representatives of those agencies declined to speak with us for this piece. The amount of time an employee spends as an assistant is typically a few years. Michelle Brower, a partner at Trellis Literary Management, said assistants should be, giving, should be given freedom to pursue their own projects in three years or less. Above the assistant level, boutique agencies differ in their pay structure from corporate agencies, with the latter often offering salaries and benefits. At a boutique agency, once you become a junior agent, pay switches over to a commission model or to commission plus a small salary, usually without health care. The AALA survey found that 63.9% of respondents are, all, are paid all or in part on commission, with 33% receiving a salary of some kind and 25% receiving payout as an owner, partner, or agency shareholder. They note that the pay structure is cited as the main contributor to the burnout felt by younger agents, leaving some respondents to wonder if agenting offers a viable professional path. Pinning down a salary range for an agent working on commission can be difficult, as it's contingent on how much an agent sells. In the first year, for example, one agent set a reasonable goal is to sell a single book. On the early career side, the AALA survey said the percent, the percent of agents making under $50,000 has grown over the past two years. 10% of agents now make under $25,000 a year, up from 7% in 2021 and 18.2% make between $25,000 and $50,000, up from 15.6% in 2021. Agencies take a standard 15% cut of author advances, and individual agents get a percentage of that based on seniority. One agent put that cut at 65% for junior agents. Another who runs a prominent agency described a different structure for new agents, in which they get a draw, comparable to an entry-level salary around $50,000 or so, and then receive commission on top of that once they earn out their draw. I have concerns about paying a junior agent just a large share of their commission because there will be several years where they would require sec a second income or a second job, the agent said. That can add additional stress to a tricky and formative time for literary agents. Indeed, the AALA survey found that 46.2% of respondents said cost of living expenses were a contributor to burnout, and more than half of these respondents were 30 to 40 years old. 55% of the people surveyed said that burnout comes from the fact that the job requires high effort and output with low financial reward. The agents PL spoke to, all of whom work at boutique agencies, noted the difficulty of starting out, with the biggest concern being how to survive in the early years as one builds a list. With most major U.S. agencies based in New York, the financial picture for agents' assistants and junior agents is extremely challenging, exacerbated by the ever-rising cost of living. It's typical for junior agents to have side gigs or pick up freelance work to make ends meet in the early years. Lauren Spieler, an agent with Folio Literary Management, said that at the beginning of her career, she was told that it would take five years for her commissions to become consistent enough to live on. But in today's publishing landscape, with increased competition and advances paid out in greater number of installments, she estimated it would take even longer. She said, 
While it might once have been possible to earn a steady income of $50,000 or so by year five, these days I think it takes at least a year or two longer unless you get very lucky early on. In the meantime, agent side gigs range from freelance writing to food service to retail. Really anything. Jill Marr, an agent at Sandra Dykstra Literary Agency, said that at the beginning of her career, she supplemented with freelance writing. I did this for several years before I felt comfortable with my monthly income as an agent. Kate McKean, an agent and VP at Howard Moorheim Literary Agency, said that while getting her start in the early 2000s, she worked in a wine store, wrote placeholder copy for a friend who built websites, wrote and edited metadata, and more. She added that it took five years working commission only before her earnings felt like a paycheck. Eric Hayne, founder of Headwater Literary Management in Minneapolis, continued to work as a freelance editor while he was establishing his list. Now in mid-career, his income is still a patchwork and includes teaching and a podcast about the industry called Print Run with fellow Headwater agent Lauren Zatz. The lower overhead and cost of living in Minneapolis has eased his financial picture somewhat. He said, when, agent, when agenting income is enough to live on, I do just that because it's my priority. During the less lucrative seasons, I ramp up my freelance editing and teaching to supplement. In acknowledgement of this challenge, the AALA recently made a change to its canon of ethics to allow member agents to offer editorial services to non-client authors, subject to strict rules. This was previously disallowed so that it would not be conflated with a reading fee or similar unethical behavior. Lynn Johnston, who owns Lynn Johnston Literary and is an AALA board member, described the amendment as a big change, one that hopefully will help younger agents earn a living while they're building their list. The AALA report notes that the disparity in pay and the struggle to get started can create tension between younger agents and established counterparts and between agents and agency owners. It continues, among those who work for an agency, sources of conflict may revolve around separation terms. One agent flagged the difficulty of leaving a workplace because they'd lose the commissions they built. Another said, there are some agents who are stuck at a toxic agency because they don't want to have to start over from scratch. Mid-career brings more stability. An established agent may make a higher percentage from 65 to 70% of commission and end up and up to 75% for those at the very top. And workload, while still strenuous, is manageable. The largest percentage percentage of agents, 31.1%, makes $50,000 to $100,000, up from 23% two years ago. Brower says she works about 50 hours a week, including reading time. Jill Marr says her agency is made up of five agents where everyone works on full-time commission and, quote, does well. Marr currently has a roster of 40 to 50 writers and has been a full agent since 2009. But even at the mid-career level, agent income has a unique challenge built in, it can change drastically from month to month. Marr said, an agent's monthly income depends on which payments have come in from publishers for their authors the month before. And that can vary quite a bit, especially with many publishers now paying out advances in quarters. In some cases, that final paycheck of the author's advance will come an entire year after the book publishes. Until an agent has some established authors who are making royalties regularly, there can be some lean months. 
McKean said that her agency keeps detailed spreadsheets to anticipate when money may come in, at least as far as advances go, so we can look ahead and prepare as necessary. She adds, royalties are not predictable, of course, and if an author is late with a manuscript or a pub date gets moved, that changes things. It is useful, though very difficult, to have something steady on the side if you work on commission, though the unpredict through the unpredictable years. As an agent's career matures, the goal is to have so many projects coming in and coming and going that the cash flow evens out. Like for publishers, the flush times, big deals, royalty seasons, cover the lean. Royalties are an important income stream for established agents, but these may take years to begin flowing in. Stuart Kraszewski, president of Stuart Kraszewski Literary Agency, said that royalties increase as authors build their careers. For a given agent, royalty income, both domestic and foreign, of course becomes increasingly robust over time, he noted. But it is new work from our active clients, those with long careers as well as debut authors, that keeps an agency vital and our business meaningful and rewarding. Brower echoed that the biggest issue boutique agencies face is cash flow. In a commission-only model, she said, you get the bulk of your income when the author slash publisher meets certain targets, the actual signature, delivery, publication date, etc. And the timing of many of those things are out of your control. Marr listed some additional considerations for new agents. Will you be responsible for your own health care and retirement? How many hours a week do you think you'll be able to dedicate to the job? All of my friends who are not in the publishing industry think I read for a living, but in reality, that mainly happens in my off, off hours. Do you have a plan for growing your list? Will you need to supplement your income for the first year or two? At the moment, agenting paints the same picture of precarity as other corners of the industry. The amount of time it takes to establish oneself, often without a consistent salary or healthcare, favors workers from privileged backgrounds. As Spieler wrote on Twitter last fall, it rewards people who already have financial support slash partners slash are white slash cis slash etc. It is not fair and isn't getting easier. It's getting harder. I am not saying this is fine. It's not. In other news, managers to decide on SNS's return to office policies. In a memo today, Simon & Schuster CEO Jonathan Karp advised staff on the future of in-office work for the company, taking a departmental approach. Working from the office had been voluntary for most employees throughout the lengthy sale process. Managers will determine the schedule for their teams, which may be fully in person, two to three days in the office, or fully remote. In the NYC office in Rockefeller Center, employees who are not coming in at least two days a week by December 1st will forfeit their office space and, quote, share new office space, which will be created for employees to share. Additionally, employees who were hired remotely or have moved out of commuting distance from New York will not be expected to be in the office, pending their manager agrees, unless their manager notifies them in advance that they must come in. Each group will determine its optimal schedule, the memo reads. Because no two groups are the same, even when performing similar functions, it is possible that standards and schedules will vary throughout Rock Center. We believe it is wisest to embrace the individuality of each group and respect the judgment of each group leader to determine what is optimal for their, for their team. International groups will determine their own policies based on local conditions. Additionally, Canongate has introduced a new incentive plan for staff 
following last year's record-setting sales of 28 million pounds. For the current year, ending March 2023, sales were 19.7 million. The plan, called Canongate Bonds, pays out staff members when shareholders receive payouts, with the first payments distributed last month. The payments will take the form of an annual dividend at the same rate as shareholder. This is on top of the company's existing bonus policy. Bonds were given to everyone who has been at the company for three years or more. Every additional year worked earns additional bonds. COO Kate Gibbs told the bookseller, Alongside our authors, Canongate's staff are at the heart of what we do, and it's vital to us that they feel valued in their work. The introduction of Canongate bonds, in addition to our existing uncapped bonus scheme and other benefits, are another way for the company to thank those who have chosen to build their careers with us and directly share the benefits when the company is prospering. In People News, at Del Rey, Emily Archbold joins as senior editor. At Inklore, senior editor Sarah Peed will move from Del Rey to the new Pop Comics imprint. Logan Balestrino is promoted to manager of editorial operations and publishing. Bones Leopard has joined the Random House Publishing Group as a senior designer, reporting to RH Illustrated Creative Director Jenny Davis, with a focus on the Inklore list. At HarperCollins, John Zapola has been promoted to SVP Deputy CFO, overseeing all North American finance operations, including accounting, financial systems, control, payroll, credit, accounts payable, tax, and royalties. Christine Jones has been promoted to VP Royalty Accounting, overseeing royalties for all North America. Mike Roars, VP Finance, U.S. and International, will now oversee the U.S. General Books Group and Children's Book Finance teams, in addition to the International Finance team. Shannon Arnone has been promoted to Manager, Financial Compliance, and Colleen Slick has been promoted to Manager, Consolidations. At the American Booksellers Association, Camila Clark has joined as Member Relations and Engagement Manager. She was previously at the Free Library of Philadelphia Foundation. And DV Pitt, the popular pitching event for unrepresented authors and illustrators of marginalized, uh, marginalized backgrounds, has migrated from Twitter to Discord. All agents and editors are welcome to participate in the next pitch, pitch event on October 11th. The Center for Fiction named its shortlist for the first novel prize, with the winner to be named on December 5th. The shortlist is Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo, Lookout by Christine Bile, Pay As You Go by Escor David Johnson, Moonrise Over New Jessup by Jamila Minix, Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton, We Are a Haunting by Tyriac White, and YN by Esther Yee. The Kund Hill History Prize named its shortlist, with the winner to be announced on October 16th. The Huxleys by Alison Bashford, Red Memory by Tanya Brannigan, The Declassification Engine by Matthew Connolly, The Perfection of Nature by Mackenzie Cooley, Queens of a Fallen World by Kate Cooper, Dust on the Throne by Douglas Ober, Charged by James Morton Turner, and The Madman in the White House by Patrick Weil. 
Jenna Bush Hager chose How to Say Babylon by Safia Sinclair as her Today Show Read with Jenna book club pick for October. You can sample it now in our Buzz Books anthology. And Target chose The First Ladies by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray as their 2023 book of the year. In new posts on our jobs board, the new press is looking for a production editor and FSG is looking for a publicist.